I want to talk to you about giant killers. And by the way, I handed you my business card. Keith, if you're ever in the DFW area, give me a call, and I promise you me and my wife will take you out for an incredible meal. I would not be surprised if one day I didn't get a call. I believe in going for the big fish. And anytime you're around, you're called to witness. You're called to witness. Amen? Now, the making of a giant killer, you have a giant killer living inside of you. Did you know that? So let's read about the greatest giant killer of all time. Our text takes us right into the middle of David talking to Saul and trying to convince Saul to let him go up against Goliath. Saul has finally acquiesced, and here's what happens. Then Saul gave David his own armor, which he should have been wearing and going against Goliath himself. A bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And he said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. And the Bible goes on to say he took them off. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that within us is a giant killer, and I know that in this congregation there are many that are battling giants, that are defying God in their life, keeping them from their destiny, intimidating them, robbing them of their peace, attacking their home, their marriage, their children. And Lord, I pray that today you will put faith in us and the wherewithal the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding to defeat our giants, that we might go and set others free in the name of Jesus. I'm asking for supernatural revelation to fall on us and speak to us. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now preach a minute and tell your neighbor there's a giant killer that lives in you. <clears throat> Amen. David was the greatest giant killer of all time, though he was not the only one. Don't forget that it was Joshua and Caleb who out of the 12 spies were the only two who said, we can go in and we can whip the giants. They too were giant killers. But isn't it funny? The giant killers are always in the minority of people who claim to know God. David, though, is known for being a giant killer. He was a king. He was a warrior, he was a poet, he was a musician. But when you bring up David out there in the world, the first thing anybody thinks of is David and Goliath. <clears throat> David the giant killer. Now, what was it that, I'm amazed at him. The more you think about it, the more you'll be amazed that a teenager, this is a teenager who was sent by his dad with some bread and cheese to go find his brothers at the battle line when Israel was supposed to be fighting the Philistines. And he thinks he's going on just a normal everyday errand, but he doesn't know that providence is all over every step he takes. And he thinks he's going for one thing, but he's actually going. He, do you think that he ever thought that by the time he got back from taking the bread and cheese, he would be an international hero? He went from a zero to a hero in one day. So he comes up on the scene. He sees Goliath mocking the armies of God. 
And he became angry at what the giant said because it defiled and defied the God he loved. He took it personally. And something was in this young man that I find amazing because he said, I've killed a lion in my past and I've killed a bear in my past. I'm going to kill this giant. The whole army of Israel was quaking in their tent, filled with fear, paralyzed with dread. And yet this kid, this teenager, had something in him that God had formed in him before he was even 20 years old. He was a giant killer. Giant killers are giant killers because of what is in them. And I tell you, the same God that was in him is in you. David killed Goliath, which was a picture of Satan. Our giant killer, Jesus, killed the real Satan, defeated him, destroyed him, defanged him, ruined him with the blood of the cross. Now, we talked last week about David's preparation. His preparation was he had killed a lion and a bear. He had a victory, two major victories in his past, in his spiritual resume, that he drew courage from when he faced Goliath. And I shared that every battle we face and every victory we win always prepares us for the next battle and the next victory on a larger and larger scale. And God wants His church to have some dead lions and dead bears in our individual lives so that He can use us as His people to pray and believe and carry forth His truth into the world and bring down the true Goliaths that are destroying our nation and destroying our world. Now today I want to talk to you about His determination. Last week is preparation, but today is determination. He was determined to use spiritual weapons in the battle with Goliath. If you had said to any one of the soldiers, what kind of a battle is this? They would have said, well, it's a physical contest between two warriors. But David didn't see it that way. David saw that it was a spiritual battle against Goliath. He understood that. So I want to talk to you today about his determination. Notice that when Saul put his armor on him, David walked around a little bit and finally said, it's not a fit. I can't use it. It doesn't feel right. This isn't what God has taught me. God has taught me to move forward against an enemy with faith and in his power. And that's how I win the battles that I encounter. So this this armor, Saul, it's just not going to work for me. He was restricted. It was unnatural. It was not what God had taught him. He he said, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. This is not what God has shown me wins the battle. And he went out to meet Goliath, get this, in his simple shepherd's dress with only one weapon in his hand, a sling. Now, I want you to know, that looked insane to Goliath. Here is this mighty warrior, decked in armor, mighty huge sword, gigantic spear, a warrior from his youth. He's all about winning the battle with with worldly weaponry. And here comes a ruddy teenager with no armor on at all, carrying a slingshot. 
The Bible says Goliath looked at him and mocked him and said, this is the best you've got, Israel. You're going to send this teenager out to me carrying a stick? But what he didn't know is what was in this kid. And what was in him, God wants to be in you and me. And I'm telling you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is a giant killer that lives inside of you just waiting to get out. He didn't bring you into the kingdom of God to be defeated by the giants in your life. He made you more than a conqueror through him who loves you. He always leads you in triumph in Christ. You are a winner and not a loser. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, now, Saul's armor represents a couple of things. Let me just tell you what it represents. First of all, Saul's armor is a picture of what Paul called in the New Testament carnal weaponry, carnal weapons. Paul said the weapons of our warfare, Christian, the weapons of your warfare, born again, saints of God, children of God, believers in Christ, the weapons of your warfare are not carnal. The weapons you fight with are not worldly, they are not of man, and they are not from man, they are not fleshly, they are not what man puts in your hand as Saul tried to put his armor on David. Saul was a worldly backslidden man. He had no concept of how to fight a battle in faith. So he tried to put on David the best that the world had. But the best that the world has cannot, will not, never has, never will defeat a spiritual enemy. Carnal weapons represents man's best effort in the strength of his flesh to defeat a spiritual enemy. That's what carnal weapons are. I've seen churches that walk in Saul's armor, and I've seen people that walk in Saul's armor. I've known a lot of pastors, and I've seen churches that, that when they come under warfare, they immediately resort to fleshly, worldly, carnal weaponry. And, and it's like they forget what God has put in their hands. When a church is relying on Saul's armor, here's what they'll do. When they come under attack, they turn to programs instead of power. They turn to willpower instead of the anointing of God. They turn to gimmicks instead of grace. They try to deliver themselves in the natural from what is a spiritual attack. But I'm going to tell you, folks, you cannot debate with the devil, argue with the devil, outfox the devil. You must defeat the devil. And the only way he's defeated is by spiritual weaponry. If you try it with carnal weapons, you're fighting a forest fire with a squirt gun. As Paul said, we place no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in our flesh to win a spiritual battle. So Saul's armor represents man's best effort to defeat an enemy that man cannot defeat alone. A second thing Saul's armor uh, teaches us is you can't wear another man's armor. you got to be you. Do you know what? You are the best you you can ever be. You can't be... Listen... Don't try to be somebody else because God didn't make you somebody else. He made you you. And he wants you to be under the anointing of God. He wants you to give your testimony. And he wants you to learn how to defeat the enemy yourself 
on the battlefield of your own life, you can't be somebody else. God wants you to be you under the anointing. See, Saul was trying to put his armor on another man. And David said, no, 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 no. i got to be myself. You see, Saul, God did not teach me to defeat the lion and the bear wearing armor with a sword and a spear and a shield. God taught me to defeat him by faith in the power of God. So I can't be you. I'm me, and I'm going to fight him being me. And David took it off. Now, the third thing we learn from Saul's armor is Saul's armor is the logical choice for the person who doesn't know who their real enemy is. See, if you're grabbing worldly weaponry to defeat the attacks coming against you, you have forgotten who your real enemy is. Let me read to you what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Stop right there. It's not your spouse. It's not your children. It's not your boss. It's not your coworker. It's not those people who are attacking your, when your faith comes under attack, when you are undermined, when your walk with God is being affected and downgraded, when you are being defined down and your walk is being sabotaged and it's coming through people, Paul is telling us something a little bit creepy, but let me just tell you what he's saying literally. He's saying, you're not really fighting the people that are coming against you, there's something behind them. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, well, what in the world is behind them? He said, you're fighting rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world, and you're fighting against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Notice, he said, what you're fighting is unseen. It's invisible to the natural eye. It is from another dimension. And it is fallen angels. It is the devil himself. It is the enemy of our soul. It is Lucifer. It is Satan. It is God's arch enemy and our arch enemy who attacks you and wants to ruin your home, ruin your reputation, take away your peace, sabotage your marriage, sabotage your children, take your money, make your life come to nothing, destroy your destiny. We have a real enemy. I'm not building him up, but I think we need to remember that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. If you're a child of God, you've got a bullseye, you've got a target with a bullseye painted on your chest, and you are going to come under attack. When are we going to remember that? My wife this, my wife that, my husband this, my husband that. Stop it. It's not them. Not really you see, the devil finds, finds vessels, many times unwitting vessels, to attack us through. I've had people attack me, and I knew I'm not dealing with a person. I'm dealing with, a, with a, the enemy of my soul who has found a yielded, unwitting vessel who is being used to attack me, and so I don't fight it like I fight flesh and blood. You don't go whoop somebody. You go into prayer and you fight the real enemy. Is anybody hearing me today? Listen, when was the last time? 
When was the last time you stood in the middle of your living room and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, I know that this is you coming against my marriage, coming against my kids, coming against my money, and I stand in the middle of this household and I serve notice on you that I'm a child of the king and in Jesus' name, get out of this house, get out of my life, get out of my mind, get off my body. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and some of you dads are visiting. You're not used to something like this. And you're going, man, when is this over? Where's the door? Listen, because you know why? You're used to subnormal Christianity. Oh, no, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Do you fight the devil? Have you come against your real enemy? See, this is not subnormal. This is normal Christianity. That's why Saul's armor was useless in winning the battle, and David knew it. David knew something the rest of Israel did not know, not even Saul. What did he know? He knew the battle with Goliath was a faith battle, a spiritual battle. This young man was amazing. I want you to listen to what he said. This just blows me away. This is coming out of a teenager in the Old Testament who had never read Paul or Peter or James or John or Jude. Goliath, he goes running towards Goliath, and Goliath went running towards him. This giant nine-foot-plus man, girt in all this armor, this warrior from his youth. And David ran towards him, and Goliath said, you, and I'm paraphrasing here. This is the revised Wickwire version. He said, you little squirt, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to stomp you in the ground. You're going to be dust under my feet, and when I'm done, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. David said, You come to me with a sword, you come to me with a spear, you come to me with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That is spiritually precocious. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. So you've got it wrong, Goliath. Today, I'm going to strike you down, and I'm going to take your head off. And he didn't even have a sword. He just knew it was going to happen. And I'm going to take your head off, and I'm feeding your carcass to the birds of the air today. That's what came out of this teenager. You come to me with fleshly man-made weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. What was David saying? This is not a battle between two warriors in a physical contest using sword and spear. This is spiritual. As the battle commenced, David reverted to what God had taught him in his secret private battles with the lion and the bear. He had learned faith in God's power gives me the victory. Though it looks like it's a physical battle, it is spiritual at its root. So he took his sling, went to a nearby brook, and chose five smooth stones. If I can just use a little allegory, a little illustration here. When you read about a brook, it, it always pictures the flowing waters of the Holy Spirit. Out of your innermost being, said Jesus, will flow rivers of living water. So it's interesting to me that he went to a flowing brook, and from the flowing brook, he took out five smooth stones. We could say he took out his weaponry from the flowing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just take the illustration a little bit further and share with you five smooth stones God has given to his church with which to defeat the giants. And as I share these things, I want you to know that you ought to now go home, 
And tomorrow morning when the devil tells you that was a bunch of hoopla at church yesterday, it's not going to work for you, you need to pull out the five smooth stones and put them in the sling of faith and send it into the forehead of the enemy. Don't just hear it, but do it. Here's the first one. You knew I was going here, the Word of God. Here's the first smooth stone. You put it in the sling of your faith, and you send it into the forehead of the enemy. This is the Word of God. Church, I know I'm a broken record with this, but this is not a normal book. This is the very Word of God. The Bible says that of itself. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Greek word for inspiration is theonoustos. It's two words, theo, God, theos, God, and noustos, breathe out. Here's what it's saying. I can't talk to you without breathing out. I can't talk to you breathing in. It is when you exhale that you create words. It is literally saying to us that as God breathed out, God breathed out the Word of God. He spoke as He breathed out. And it says in the Bible, He moved on the prophets of old and they wrote as they were moved or born or carried along by the Holy Spirit and they gave us the very breathed out Word of God. It's not a normal book. Every other book on earth is about God. This is a book from God. It is with this book that Jesus defeated the devil. Notice that even the Son of God didn't argue with the devil, debate with the devil. He didn't endure the devil. He only had one thing to say to the devil. It is written. It is written. And he said it three times. There was a, there was a, the, the battle was carried on. The, the, the battle was sustained for a while. And the Son of God didn't give up. He continued fighting in a sustained battle when he was starving to death. He did not give up after the first temptation, the second temptation, the third temptation. He, he survived and thrived and won a sustained battle. Now, if it was sustained for him, it shouldn't shock us that we can have battles that last weeks and months. And my word to you is don't give up, but live and breathe the word of God and take that smooth stone of the word of God and hurl it into the forehead of the devil. God did not give us the Bible for us to judge it, as so many seminaries do now. They tear it apart. It's called higher criticism. They judge it. They pick it apart, and, and, and they ruin its authority. But listen, God gave the Bible for it to judge us. This is the Word of God. You have your own library, 66 books wrapped up in one volume, and every bit of it is the Word of God. And the devil doesn't fear you, but he fears the Word. It's our first and final authority. It is the arbiter of every conflict. It is the answer to every question. It is the light that guides us down every path we take. The Word of God. Don't ever compromise it. Don't ever allow the enemy to cause you to twist it so you can go do some kind of sin. If you live by the Word of God, the God of the Word will live by you. The second smooth stone is prayer. Prayer. How powerful is prayer? Pray without ceasing, said Paul, and praying always in the Spirit. We reach into that flowing brook, the flow of the Holy Spirit, and we pull out the smooth stone of prayer. No giant will ever be slain in your life or mine apart from coming boldly to God in prayer. God, I'm in a battle. 
Lord, my marriage is under attack. My kids are under attack. My money is under attack. I'm having a temptation. God, in the midst of battle, I come to you in prayer. The Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the hour of need. Boldly the throne of grace. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God in prayer who gives to all men liberally and upbraids them not, and it will be given to him. Only let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the sand of the sea, driven of the wind, and, or the waves of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. He is unstable, double-minded. Believe God in the place of prayer. Go to him in prayer when you're in battle. Don't let it drive you out, away. Let it drive you to him. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It ought to be our first resort. Listen, every pilot knows he can go through any storm as long as he has two things. His instrument panel to guide him and communication with the control tower to encourage him. If he has those two things, he can go through. Pilots, when they go through a storm, they can see nothing out that windshield. They can't see a thing, but they look down at that instrument panel and it tells them north, south, east, west, how high, how low, how they're tilted, how they're going. The instrument panel, though they can see nothing in the natural, the instrument panel guides them safely through the storm back into the sunshine. And this right here, folks, is our instrument panel. It's right here. This is it. The Word of God, because you can be in the middle of a storm and you can't see a thing. You're confused, perplexed, dazed, knocked silly. You've been knocked for a loop. You don't know what to do, where to turn, where to go. You can't see in the natural. What do you do? You open up this Bible. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and I delight in his way. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Listen, God will guide you in the middle of the storm. Here's your instrument panel. The worse the storm is, the more time you spend in the word. And then you stay in touch with the control tower. Prayer is the way you stay in touch. Lord, I'm in the middle of a storm. Stay tough. I'm with you. Don't worry. Don't fear. I'm going to carry you through to the other side. As long as that pilot can hear the control tower and see the instrument panel, no storm can take him down. Storms come to help us grow spiritually. Don't like them. I've never prayed for one. I've never had to. They always seem to find me. But if you lose either one, the control panel, or if you lose touch with the control tower, the instrument panel or the control tower, then you're at the mercy of the storm. You're going to be batted around. Third smooth stone is the name of Jesus. David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. There's nothing Satan fears more than the name of Jesus fired from the sling of faith. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is peace in the name of Jesus. There is, listen, the name of Jesus is mightier than any name on earth. Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. In my name, in my name. Isn't that interesting that there's power in, in somebody's name, but there is. Well, why is there power in the name of Jesus? Because God said there was. 
God said in Philippians 2 verse 9, For this reason God has also highly exalted him and gave him the name, gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. I look forward to the day when the name of Jesus is spoken and Hitler must bow and Stalin must bow and Mussolini must bow and listen, every atheist must bow, every person that's ever blasphemed his name must bow and the whole earth and everyone that ever lived in it and every devil that ever rebelled is going to bow at the name of Jesus. And they also have to confess, He is Lord. Jesus' name is also powerful because whoever calls upon it will be saved. Listen to this powerful verse. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know why? No one stretched out their hands and their feet and died on a cross for you and me but Jesus. No one spilled innocent blood that had never sinned but Jesus. No one defeated the devil but Jesus. Muhammad didn't do it. Confucius didn't do it. Buddha didn't do it. You can't go hug a tree and be saved. You can't go do what you consider to be good things and be saved. There is salvation in no other name. When you say the name of Jesus, it rings the bell in God's throne room. When you say the name of Jesus, it grabs the ear of God. When you say the name of Jesus, heaven is moved on your behalf. When you say the name of Jesus, demons tremble and angels rejoice. When you say the name of Jesus, you have just taken a giant step forward forward in victory against your giant. There is power in his name. And you can't be saved by any other. If you really want to spend eternity in glory, there's only one name. You say, Pastor Jeff, that's just narrow-minded. There's got to be many ways. No, there's not. It's narrow-minded because it's a narrow way. And God made it simple so the simplest person can understand it. You don't have to jump through ten hoops. You don't have to obey ten rules. You don't have to do this and that and the other and perform your way into heaven. He already did it for you. All you've got to do is say, Jesus, save me. And when you say, Jesus, save me, then something happens. And you are delivered from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to sight. Something happens when you say, Jesus, forgive me. So put his name like a smooth stone in the sling of your faith and fire it in the devil's forehead. One time, my dad wasn't a believer for a long time, and one day I didn't know he was home. And I was in a battle. I went in the middle of our living room. You know my voice. I didn't know he was in the back room, and he was this intellectual unbeliever. And I started fighting the devil, and I started yelling the name of Jesus, rebuking him, binding him, loosening him, doing everything I could against the devil, the enemy of my soul. <laughs> this went on about 10 minutes, and all of a sudden I heard this voice, Jeff. <laughs> it may not have re- rebuked my dad. He was concerned about me, but I won the battle. And later I led him to Christ. Now... The fourth smooth stone is the anointing. 
of God's Spirit, and you've been anointed. The anointing which you have received and abides in you teaches you all things, John said. You have no, no need that any man teach you. He wasn't teaching against teachers in the church. He was just saying, when you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can open this word and it will teach you. You have no need that any man teach you, but the same anointing which you have received and abides in you teaches you all things and brings to your mind all things that he has said. The anointing of God's Spirit. Isaiah wrote of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What did that anointing do in Jesus' life? Acts 10.38, how God tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. Look at what the anointing did in his life. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. When Jesus came out of the wilderness anointed by the power of the Spirit for the first time in the Bible, we see the phenomenon of demon spirits manifesting in people's lives and speaking out of their mouths. You don't see that anywhere in the Old Testament. It only happened when Jesus came under the anointing of the Spirit of God, and that anointing literally panicked hell, and people began to manifest with demons in them. The demons would say, please don't torment us before the time. Please don't send us away. Please don't this and that. And Jesus told them what to do, and they did it. Jesus flushed the devil out of hiding. What did it? It was the anointing of the Spirit. And with the anointing of the Spirit, power fell upon Jesus. And that power began to set people free from depression, suicidal thoughts, hopelessness, despair, heartbreak, confusion, not knowing what to do, where to turn. Jesus set them free. He turned frowns into smiles. He put skips in their steps. He put gleams in their eye, smiles on their faces, hope in their life. That's what Jesus did. I depend on the anointing of God's Spirit every time I preach. I depend on it right now, and I'm telling you, He's moving right now. The, the, the last stone I want to talk to you about, and this is by no means exhaustive. I could have put praise in here. I could have put some other things. But what I'm going to share with you for the last one, you probably are not going to expect. But here it is. Having the right people around you. Having the right people around you. Do you know the New England Patriots recently hired Tim Tebow? If you know anything about football, you know about Tebow. You know that Tim Tebow was the outspoken Christian that put John 3.16 under his eyes in black ink. And he was hated, loathed, despised by sports commentators, by ESPN. ESPN couldn't stand him. They mocked him, persecuted him, ridiculed him. I heard them say, I hope no team brings him on. They talked about it not being due to, or about it being due to his, his not being able to throw well. But it had nothing to do with that because he can throw well. It had to do with his faith. But now, all of a sudden, one of the best teams in the league hired Tim Tebow, the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, their quarterback, and Robert Kraft, the owner of the Pats, said this, I hired him because I was so impressed with his spirituality. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, Tebow might have wished he would have said, I hired him because of his great arm. But that's not what he said. He said, I hired him because I was so impressed with his spirituality. And then here's what Robert Kraft said. You can't get enough people like him. Life is about collecting good people around you. You can't have enough good people, end quote. 
Christian friend, listen today. Life is about collecting the right people around you. Paul said, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Newsflash, you will never win your spiritual battles if the people around you are dragging you down. You will never win your spiritual battles. You will never defeat your giants if the people you're hanging around with are dragging you down. Listen carefully to this truth. Always remember this. I'm going to give you a tactic of the enemy right now. Ready? When Satan wants to destroy you, he puts a person in your life. I could put a little addendum to that and say, when Satan wants to destroy you, he puts a wrong person in your life. Jesus talked about the tares being sown among the wheat. Jesus talked about the wheat growing right up next to the tares. And what the enemy is best at, please understand, the enemy of your soul does not bring somebody into your life who's ugly on a stick, who has no appeal to you, who has no draw for you, but it says he becomes an angel of light. He brings into your life wrong people who glitter, who glisten, who are attractive, who draw you, with whom you have natural uh, uh, camaraderie natural chemistry. He, he can bring the wrong person into your life, but if they don't have your faith, your Christ, your values, and you connect with them, Satan has successfully sown a terror into your life who brings you down. He, he, he sows tares among the wheat, and he's very, very good at it. But here's the flip side. When God wants to bless you, he puts a right person in your life. Think about all the blessings you've ever received and then think, where did they come from? Where did the real major blessings in my life come from? How did I get where I am today? Discipled, who taught me? See, the major blessings that have come your way, I assure you, have come from people God brought into your life. The Bible says, choose your friends carefully. Be very wise. Teenagers, be very wise. You singles, be very wise. You marrieds, be very wise. Always remember, there's two personalities that want to sow people into your life. The enemy of your soul and God. You have to be discerning. If every time you walk away from the people you're hanging around with, you feel compromised, you feel a little bit dirty, you feel like you were not the Christian you should have been, then that is not a group or a person sown into your life by God. But if you leave people and you feel built up and you feel encouraged and you feel spurred on to seek God and it made your Christian life sharper, those people were sown into your life by God. Now, can we stand together today? And I want you to just repeat with me these five smooth stones. Are you ready? The Word. Prayer. The anointing the name, and the right people. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now that our giants have defeat written on their forehead. And Lord, you have given us the victory in Jesus. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Lord, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Now if you've got a, a giant in your life, 
Would you just lift your hand up right in the air? There's a giant defying you, coming against you, demeaning you, trying to get you off track, trying to ruin your destiny, get you in a detour. It's a giant harassing you. Raise your hand high. Now, Father, you see all these precious people. Now, in Saturday night service, in the early service, I called everybody forward. But there's so many here right now. I want to pray right where you are, but the anointing of the Spirit is on this service. And I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to say with me, Lord Jesus, thank you that I'm more than a conqueror and that a giant killer lives in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, I give you my giant. Now name it, say it, give it to him. You know what it is, he knows what it is, but name it to the Lord. Now, say with me, giant, I say to you in the name of Jesus, this is the day you lose your strength. This is the day you lose your victory. This is the day you come down. This is the day I walk free. You have been defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony and the word of God. And the name of Jesus Christ, you must come down. You must obey. I resist the devil, and he must flee from me. I am no longer bound, no longer a slave, no longer under your control, but I resist you and rebuke you, and I walk away from you in the name of Jesus. And all those that worked with you to harass my life must also flee. In the name of Jesus, I am set free. I am free indeed. The truth has set me free. And I will pick up the five smooth stones if you try to enter again into my life tomorrow morning. And I will throw the Word of God at you. And the name of Jesus, I will put in the sling of faith. And I will not back down bend, give up, put up the white flag, but I will win because Jesus decreed it in my life in Jesus' name. Now give God praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.